I could be a practical <laughs> physicist. I can make logical conclusions. You can make logical conclusions. That's literally like that plus a bit of maths and you can be a particle physicist. Obviously. Yes, I'm almost there. Okay, just got to do the math. Doctor, the podcast where we bombard you with knowledge to try and illuminate the darkness or shed the light of knowledge on the darkness of ignorance. My name is Beth and I am a PhD student studying particle physics at Sapienza University of Rome. My name is Alistair and I'm a PhD student studying analytical chemistry at Queen's University. And my name is Sienna. I'm a PhD candidate studying neuroscience at McGill University. And we are your PhD3 to be. Sorry, I'm just thoroughly confused. We Can you read that tagline again? So, <laughs> we are the podcast that bombards you with knowledge. Uh-huh. So that hopefully we shed the light of knowledge on the darkness of ignorance. Okay, okay. I I have no idea what we're talking about today. Dark matter? Wait, yes, are we talking about dark matter? <laughs> we are talking about dark matter. Yay! Sure. <laughs> um, basically, today is the day that's like... So, for, for our audience, um, welcome to the final episode in season two. Thank you very much for joining us along this journey. Um, we very much appreciate your support that you've given us through all this. 25 episodes it now will be by the end of this one. Okay, so today, uh, to finish off, this wasn't actually the intention of this episode. I'll get to that in a minute. But um, it kind of turns out that whatever you've been waiting for from physics we'll probably turn up in this episode. So we're going to have dark matter, we're going to have astrophysics a little bit, we're going to have nuclear physics, we're going to have statistics, we're going to have particle physics. Like, I'm, You're going to have to keep your brains on, probably. Um, but and we're going to somehow keep it under an hour. We're going to somehow oh, yeah. keep it under an hour. And luckily I have two fantastic co-hosts to pick me up on all the bits that I explained too quickly. Who are those people? Okay. Never met them. <laughs> okay, so what are we talking about? So we are talking about dark matter. Okay. And the point of this episode, I'm going to try and go quickly through the history. And then we're going to talk about a collaboration in Hungary. And they have just released a new paper. This is like hot off the press about... Uh, 15 days ago, about two Ooh, weeks ago, nice. a bit more. And yeah, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. But they also have like a million other papers that I'm going to have to go through. <laughs> Sounds like you did a lot of research for this episode. Wow. Let's hit the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> or the dark lights. The dark lights. <laughs> so to start us off, what do you guys know about dark matter? That it's not antimatter. 
That was a really good start. And dark chemistry has nothing to do with <laughs> dark matter. Great start, great start. That That's all perfectly accurate. Sienna, do you have anything to add? Um, here's my wild guess. I thought dark matter was the matter that we suspect exists because there's not enough matter in the universe. Yeah, exactly. That we can see. <laughs> exactly. So Sienna wins the background knowledge challenge. Yes. Um, I'm so good. Are we turning this into like a, a game show? Like, It's always been a game show. It's... <laughs> Where's my car? I thought you win a ding, car. Ding, ding. <laughs> wow, if only we had the funding to offer people cars. Yeah. Would you like to go double or nothing on the next question? <laughs> always go double or nothing. Always go double or nothing. Um, okay. So okay. that's the background on dark matter via Alistair and Sienna. So, to give an introduction to why we think it exists, um, I, I obviously went back through the history, because that's what I do, and I found out that Lord Kelvin suggested the idea of dark matter in 1884, so even though we're kind of at the cutting edge of science, we're like also talking about 120-year-old science as well. Which is, is this the same Kelvin of the famed scale? Temperature scale? Yeah, he was a chemist as well and um, did some important work on thermodynamics and blah, blah, blah. Important guy. And also seemed to talk about dark matter. I have no idea whether the dark matter that he thought existed is actually true or the dark matter that we think exists now. But I thought it was interesting to mention him. Mm -hmm. So the two people whose names will always come up I think when talking about dark matter are Fritz Zwicky and Vera Rubin. So Zwicky was a physicist in the 1930s and in 1933 he made an estimate of or well he he was studying galaxy clusters and he found that galaxies at the edges of clusters were moving faster than they should uh, based on the number of galaxies that he could see in the cluster. And so from that, his measurement turned out to be uh, significantly imperfect um, <laughs> because that's how science works. <laughs> but he assumed that there must be more matter around than he could see. And that idea has passed forward uh, through time. So in 1980, Vera Rubin, Kent Ford and Norbert Thonard, I hope that's how you pronounce his name, they found a similar effect, but instead of looking for galaxies and galaxy clusters, they were looking at stars in galaxies. And they found, again, that stars at the edges of galaxies uh, were moving more quickly than they should based on the number of stars that they could see in the, in the galaxies. So they assumed there must be more matter in the galaxies and it must be more spread out um, compared to having all of the matter concentrated in the centre of the galaxy. Um, mm to then have everything else moving around it. There's one other important um, piece of evidence. And this is, I hope that I'll get to sh share some fun pictures of this on our social media because, so one of the outcomes of uh, Einstein's theory of general relativity is that uh, light can be bent by, by gravitational fields just as much as 
things with mass can be bent by gravitational fields. And this leads to effects called gravitational lensing, which is where if you have a really massive body between you and something in the distance, then whatever's in the distance, the light from it will get bent around that massive body. And you can end up seeing two, uh, you can see, you can end up seeing the same object twice, Mm -hmm. or else it might become like smeared or uh, generally distorted. Um, by the gravitational field of this massive body. So it's like when you let your eyes go out of focus. Yeah, essentially, yeah. That's what you see. And honestly, I mean, uh, astrophysics is not something I've ever had a great deal of interest in, but it is so impressive what they do. Um, Like, just the fact that you can, like, look at two galaxies and be like, oh, that's the same galaxy on two different sites. There must be something in the middle that's causing this this distortion. I think that's amazing. Oh, wow. That's what they were doing? Yeah. So, like, you can can look at pictures. Like, there will be, uh, like, obviously you have to do detailed measurements to really uh, understand it. But, like, you can see pictures online that um, people will be like, here's a picture of the sky. And they'll, like, put a circle around an object and a circle around another object and be like, this is the same object. And you're like, well, they look the same as all of the other other (laughs) objects in this picture. Um, But sure, like, uh, uh, yeah. So for dark matter, the the uh, object that's that really matters wouldn't matter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's called the bullet cluster, which is essentially two um, galactic clus- gal- galaxy clusters, um, or I think it's the name of one of them. But there are these two uh, galaxy clusters that collided at some point in time. Oh. And um, (laughs) so the the thing is, like, obviously these galaxy clusters, they're made of galaxies. Um, uh, I don't think we can say no shit Sherlock on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No ships, Sherlock. No ships, Sherlock. No ships, Sherlock. (laughs) (laughs) But they also have, like, galaxies are obviously made of loads of stars, but they're also made of loads of, of gas and dust. And uh, so are the galaxy clusters. Mm-hmm. And so when the two galaxy clusters collided, all of the stars, essentially, the, the, the stars and the galaxies essentially passed through each other because there's so much space between them. The probability of them actually like getting close enough to interact in any meaningful way was really small. Cool. Um, but on the other hand, the amount of gas that was there and the distribution of it meant that a lot of that collided and, um, mm-hmm. and slowed down and stayed pretty close to the point of impact. Okay. So then doing, like, observing this, this part of space, like this impact between these two, uh, these two galaxies, these two galaxy clusters scientists found that there was a huge amount of extra mass um, that was located near the galaxies and away from the from the gas and this is matter that we can see so we can see using gravitational lensing the effect Mm -hmm. of this matter and of its mass and of its gravitational field um, but it's not explained by the number of stars and galaxies that we can see in the in the clusters, which is a 
very interesting fact, I think. Mm-hmm. Is, is it kind of clear? Yeah. So I would say there is a crash of two galaxy clusters. Yeah. <laughs> and the stars went zipping through because yeah. they're relatively small compared to how much space these two galaxy clusters take up. But the gases kind of collided at the center of impact. And then within all of this, outside of the center of impact, there is was, scientists noticed, that there was a distortion of the light coming out of the galaxy that created that effect that you, I can't remember the name of now. Gravitational Len- lensing. Gravitational lensing that isn't explained by the mass of the galaxy clusters as we know it. Right, exactly. Like there's something else there. There's something Gotta else be. there. But we can't see it. But we can't see it. <laughs> And the other really important thing, which I didn't mention, but I'm mentioning now, is that this teaches us that the self-interaction cross-section, so the probability of this new matter interacting with itself, is Mm -hmm. really low, because otherwise, obviously, then it would have... Then it would have stayed at the center. Exactly. Like the gas. Exactly. Interesting. Mm. So, that's the history part essentially over. Cool. I liked it. Very concise, very clear. <laughs> so, so, and this was the bullet galaxy. This is the bu- bullet cluster, yeah, exactly. Because it's a speeding bullet, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's shaped like one, who knows? Who knows? I will try and find out for the social media. Things but... science can't explain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hazard without any information. <laughs> <laughs> Things Sienna can't explain. <laughs> yeah. So that is where the astrophysics sort of ends. Okay. Um, and now we're going to go into particle physics before getting into a slight little bit of nuclear physics, but I'm going to try and avoid it if I can. Um, <laughs> because we don't want to go nuclear here. <laughs> because it's radioactive. Um, everyone knows that nuclear is a synonym for evil. And um, in the in the movies, it's definitely a, a trope that it, um, the nuclear physicists are evil. But more importantly, I failed nuclear physics in fourth year, so I am not your girl to go to to talk about nuclear physics. I think it's better that you took it and failed than not taking it at all. Which That's is true. What Alistair and I have done. So. <laughs> yeah. You're the expert here. <laughs> You're the expert on nuclear physics. I was going to say, every time it's been tangentially brought up on the podcast, you have a pretty good understanding of mm-hmm. the concepts. Anyway. Moving on. Okay, so we have this concept of a new type of matter that we're pretty sure must exist. Mm-hmm. And what do particle physicists do? I mean, apart from the experimental part of what particle physicists do, which we're, which we're going to get to. They call it something, and then they look for it. Yeah, and then they look for it. So, like, particle <laughs> physics physicists, you know, we like to think of the world as made up of particles. So we assume that dark matter must be a new type of particle. Because we've tried to explain it with, like, neutrinos, for example, which have a little bit of mass. Um, if you haven't, if you don't know what neutrinos are, go back and listen to Series 1, Episode 3. It's really mm-hmm. good, and it's mm-hmm. all about ice cream. Apparently, neutrinos are ice cream, so can't recommend this episode. Exactly. Sienna's <laughs> right. It's all about ice cream. Yeah, so we tried to explain it using neutrinos, but they don't have enough mass, and they probably interact too much. I'm not really 
clear on why neutrinos were rejected as a, as a hypothesis. But they were. Um, so we are more or less stumped as to what it is. Me too, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I'm so glad that I'm not the only one. But we assume that there is a dark sector of at least one uh, dark matter particle. And we hope that it would interact with normal matter in ways that we could observe. Um, because otherwise, well, um, we're never going to find it anyway. So. <laughs> so we know that it interacts gravitationally, obviously, mm-hmm. because that's how we've discovered it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're hoping that we can find it in another way as well. And the way that it would interact would be via a force-carrying boson, because that's how that's how forces are carried and that's how uh, things interact with each other is through these bosons. So here we're going to um, take a second to review our knowledge of the standard model. Can anybody name a boson? Ooh, ooh pick me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good start. There are four others. and Also, the Higgs boson isn't really a force carrier, but it is a boson, so <laughs> you will win there. Um, can anybody name one of the other four? Well, you've got the Higgs and yep. the Myers-Briggs and <laughs> the Twigs and... Yeah. And the Figs. And the Figs! The Figs boson! How did everybody forget the Pigs? The Pigs, oh, pigs boson, of course. The Pigs boson, obviously. Okay, would it, would it help if we started by naming the four currently known fundamental forces? Yes. Gravity. Electromagnetic. Yes. Strong and weak. Yes, exactly. Let's start with the electromagnetic, because that's the one that you have the greatest chance of getting. Do you know what the force carrier is? The photon. Yes, exactly. So I have a question about that, though. Okay, can we get through the other... Wait, the gravitron. Graviton? Graviton is a very good one, but we don't know if it exists, but that's a okay. very good one. But the I thought the Higgs was the force carrier for gravity. No... And I don't want to go into it. Isn't it kind but... of like a mass carrier? Gives It imparts mass to other things. Yes, it gives mass to um, some of the other fundamental particles. Right, okay, okay. Um, gosh, um, Alistair, get, get jiggy with the particle <laughs> physicists over here. Yeah, gosh, this is why I'm a chemist, not a particle physicist. Okay, but for the strong and the weak... Okay, okay, um, now we're going to get to the uh, imagination of, um, of particle okay. physicists. Uh, so if something, if you want to attach something strongly to something else, what do you use? A glue. Glue, exactly. A glue-on. The glue-on. Oh, yeah. Good one, Alice. You've heard of it, right? Yes. Okay. And then there are two more, which are both the carriers of the weak force. And okay. the weak, weak begins with what letter? W. w. So it's a woo-on. It's called a W boson because... Oh. oh. <laughs> Again, imagination. And then the last one, and then the last one is the, go from W onwards. V. Exxon. No. No. W. Neither of you. Y. Y. No. Z. Z. Yes. (laughs) It's a Zepton. Oh, I'm just, I'm adding on. It's just a Z boson? Z boson, yep. Okay. Okay, Okay. so we have the electromagnetic force, which is carried by the photon. So we combine them and call them like the wizons? The wizons. 
I think that's an excellent Can idea. Can you propose Sienna. that to your particle physicists? I will do, yeah. I think you. that you should, I really think you should become a particle physicist, Sienna, because you have a lot to impart to the field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very generous of you to say that. So I had, a, I had a question about the force carrier for the electromagnetic force. Tell me. So if the photon is the force carrier for the electromagnetic force, yeah. does that mean that you need photons for magnetic forces to work? Like, I, yes. can, I can conceptualize how, like, light enters your eyes and, like, interacts and, like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you have... And, like, electricity and light are related but magnetism and light i don't see as being related like you take two magnets and hold them near each other they don't emit light they don't yeah, light you doesn't... don't see any light yeah whereas like um, if you take two tesla coils and you put them close together the electricity jumps yeah and i mean it ionizes the air and it's like other processes involved could you have a magnet in a pure dark place yes you could have a magnet in a pure dark place well you could have a magnet in a pure dark place in the sense that you could make a room as dark as you could possibly make it and then introduce a magnet into it Yes, you could do that. And there would still be a... And it would still be a magnet. Uh, yeah. But what if there were no photons? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Okay, all right. So now we're going to get into, like, deep quantum mechanics. But the... I mean, it's important, and it is important for this episode. I think, fund- fundamentally, my question is more like, what does it mean to be a force carrier? That's a good question. What it means is that any electromagnetic interaction that happens... Mm-hmm. has to be carried by a photon. Mm-hmm. So, like, your one magnet repelling another magnet will be through the emission of one photon, or many photons, most likely, coming out from one magnet and entering into the other and, like, repelling them, mm-hmm. or essentially. So there, so there are photons actually involved in this but it's probably so few that i can't detect it like well they're also at very different energy levels to anything that you'd ever be able to see like 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 wavelengths outside of my vision exactly i see i think i'm understanding that a little bit better so the point of quantum mechanics essentially is that firstly anything that can happen will happen and it just has a certain probability that's my favorite that's that's what's been getting me through writing my thesis it's like <laughs> uh, it will happen i will i will i will get i will get the phd I, it's gonna happen you can write a thesis so you will write a thesis exactly. <laughs> quantum mechanics says so if you throw paper and pens at a wall enough eventually there will be a thesis <laughs> That, yeah, exactly. That's what quantum mechanics says. I've been doing it wrong this whole time. I've been <laughs> typing it up in a Word document on my computer. No, you know what uh, you should do, Alistair? It's just... you should throw your computer at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I need my computer. <laughs> oh, God. Um, can we just okay. be clear? Not yet a doctor does not take responsibility for <laughs> any of the advice. Anyone throwing on stuff at anything. Yes. Exactly. Um, but there are also photons popping in and out, like even in the darkest room that you can imagine, in mm-hmm. the deepest, darkest depths of outer space, there are particles popping into and out of existence all of the time, yes. just for fun, because mm-hmm. they like doing cool. it. No, wait, do you mean, do you mean like literally popping in and out of existence or like passing through the space? No, I mean, like, one minute they exist and one minute they don't exist anymore. No, stop. This is the part of physics I don't like. 
I don't like that things like... This is my favorite part of physics. <laughs> this is really the only physics that I've ever been interested in. It the... is a real mind bender. Mm-hmm. So I understand where you're coming from, Alistair. But I agree with Sienna that it's cool, right? Isn't it okay, cool? It's cool, but it kind of like... And your thoughts I... pop in and out of existence. So why can't particles pop in and out of existence? <laughs> like I don't like thoughts popping in and out of existence. I my, like a linear trajectory. Alistair is anti-thought, and um, Sienna uh, wants us to finish on time. It's true. <laughs> so, the point is that each so any fundamental in any anything that happens in the world mm-hmm. is mediated by one of the four fundamental forces. Mm-hmm. Cool. Plus whatever we don't understand. And each of these four fundamental forces, any of these interactions between fundamental particles has to go through one of these bosons. Right. Okay. Essentially. I don't want to derail us. I just want to have a clarifying question. Yes. Um, the four fundamental forces, can we briefly say what they do? So, like, electromagnetism is electricity and magnetism. Electricity and magnetism. Gravity is gravity it, it pulls us to the earth and it's not, yeah holds you down what do the strong and the weak force do okay. like how do they how do they uh manifest in our day-to-day life in our everyday life okay very um basically the strong nuclear force you can think of it as the most important force in binding nucleons together so protons and neutrons mm-hmm mm-hmm so it's literally holding us together. It's literally holding us. It's literally holding the particles that make you up together. Okay. The strong force is literally doing the heavy lifting. Yep. Like when we talk about a chemical bond that... I should know this. Wow. It's usually electromagnetic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Chemical bonds don't really combine nucleons. But it's... so Sorry. Yeah. It's nucleons, not nuclei. Hmm. And then the weak nuclear force is mostly responsible for nuclear decay. So the breaking apart of nuclei. Right, exactly. And okay. radioactivity and um, nuclear physicists, again, the baddies of the films. I don't know what films you're watching, but the nuclear physicists are all the baddies. I, but... um, I'm pretty sure Moonraker, isn't that? Like, anyway, it's really, so it's really the interplay between the forces that uh, causes nuclei to stay together or to break apart. But, like, that's basically what they do. Cool. Okay, thank you. Nice. Um, you're welcome. So, as we have said... Uh, dark matter exists, presumably. Because we can't see it. <laughs> yes. Um, that's why it's called dark, because we're, again, like physicists being creative. inventive physicists. Yeah, very creative people. And, as you also said, we assume that it's made up of particles, and we assume that if those particles exist, then we hope that they would interact with normal matter in some way that we could see and it can't go by any of the known forces so it has to go by something new by a new Mm -hmm. boson the dark boson a dark boson essentially kind of and there are so there are lots of different theories of what this could be and there are lots of different experiments in the world that are trying to find it Mm -hmm. um but the one that we're going to talk about today is probably like if there are any particle physicists listening to this and they didn't listen to the bit where i mentioned hungry then they probably won't be thinking about this experiment so weird time for particle physicists to just pop into our podcast but you know 
They're particle physicists. As they do. Yeah. They just pop in and out of existence. They miss they miss the intro, but they just pop in at this section to yeah. hear about the yeah. Welcome. We're glad to have you. Oh yeah, I mean in the infinite universe theory, then they could uh, just exist for this half a second and then pop out of existence. Could you imagine if there was like some sort of like very polite host who was just there to like welcome new particles into existence? <laughs> welcome. You're new. We're Hello. really happy to have you. Here's your hotel room where you can stay until you pop out of existence. (laughs) There's a great cafe down the road if you want to get a bite to eat. Here's your information pack of the history of the universe so far, just to catch you up. Here are the force particles that you can interact with in case you want to do anything fun while you're here. The entropy slide for the children is just down the hall. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, And you might want to avoid the black holes. They're under construction. (laughs) If we produce merch, then the entropy slide would be a great graphic on a t-shirt. If our merch just popped into existence. What was I saying, you guys? You were saying that there's this experiment in Hungary that particle physicists might have popped into existence. Okay. To listen about. (laughs) So there's evidence to say there are theories in which this new particle would be able to decay into electrons and positrons. And essentially nothing else. There are other theories in which it would be able to do this, but like also do other things. There are theories that wouldn't include this at all. But there is a history of research of theories where um, this particle would be able to decay into E plus E minus, so an electron positron pair. Mm -hmm. And okay, so so back in back in nineteen ninety six, Sienna popped into existence. So sorry, we're really derailing this podcast. I love this though. I love this. Here bit. I am, like, stay on time. <laughs> Here I also am, like, <laughs> every way. We go every way. I like this bit. I'm gonna keep it up. <laughs> yeah. It might just pop in and out throughout. <laughs> Back in 1996, Sienna popped into existence. Yeah. Happy birthday, Sienna. And. <laughs> Also, another thing that happened in that year was her collaboration in Frankfurt. A collaboration based in Frankfurt found uh, an effect um, suggesting the existence of new physics in the regime of 17 MeV. Okay, there's a lot of things that I want to go through here. Okay. The first thing is to say that this was a 4.5 sigma effect. So now we're going to have to deal with a bit of statistics. So 4.5 sigma is a 10 to the minus 6 approximately effect. This means that the probability of this effect happening by chance and there not being any new physics is approximately 10 to the minus 6. So kind of small. Which is quite small, I think you guys would agree. Yes. But a microliter is... 10 to the minus 6. Of a liter. Of a liter. And I measure microliters all the time. Right, okay, so you have some scale for this, and that's not... But that's that's, that's the... That's a micro possibility. That's a micro possibility. It's 10 to the minus 6 that it happened by chance. By chance. Not... Mm. Yeah, so it it is... Yeah, 10 to minus 6 randomness. So it's more likely not random than random, but... Exactly. But we live in a universe where random things could very well happen. Uh, Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. And this is really important. So physicists have a 
and like each area of science has its own set of thresholds mm-hmm. and I know that for a lot of studies a lot of areas of science 0.05 a p-value of 0.05 is considered statistically significant exactly so that's a five percent chance of something uh happening by chance and there being yeah exactly and there being no new effect um to cause it physicists are very uh, pretty big sticklers for um the thing for the possibility of things not happening by chance partly because we have huge data sets a lot of the time yeah and like we do a lot of different studies so like small small chances like things that happen just by chance but very rarely are going to happen anyway you're going to see them i don't know if we've made this analogy for statistics on this podcast before but i really like it for like just giving people an idea of what it means for something to be statistically significant or happen by chance. And if you think about it, if you flip a coin 10 times and you get heads all 10 times in a row, that's a pretty rare thing. And there might be a reason why that happened, like your coin is weighted. But if you flip a coin a thousand times and within that a thousand times you get 10 heads in a row, that is much less likely to be because of some reason like your coin is weighted or and maybe more just likely to be because you have given it so many opportunities to choose between yeah. heads and tails eventually mm-hmm. it's going to land on heads 10 times in a row yeah exactly i think we did make that analogy before in the ghosts episode mm. um, okay well i'm bringing it back it's popping back <laughs> but it's popped back into existence <laughs> and it is it is it's a really good analogy yeah. Um, so that's why that's why physicists we have these uh, um, field-defined standards. Mm-hmm. So we say that if something is a three sigma effect, which means that it it will happen with a probability of 0.1 percent okay. by chance, okay. then that's considered interesting. Mm-hmm. That's considered something to look into and keep an eye on. If something is more than five sigma, which is a chance of 10 to the minus seven, mm-hmm. then that's considered a, a discovery. That's okay. our threshold. And you guys yeah. got 4.5. <laughs> we got, so these guys back when Sienna was... Um, Somewhere between interesting and a discovery. <laughs> Same, <laughs> honestly. That was me too. <laughs> these uh, physicists in Frankfurt found... A 4.5 sigma effect so that's mm-hmm. definitely interesting and pretty close to discovery but doesn't meet the threshold yeah so the effect was of a 17 mev particle okay do you guys know what mev or mev means yeah it's milli electron volts so close try again mega electron volts yes oh it's a capital m i don't know you gotta yeah. you gotta it's either a MEV or it's a MEV. You know, yeah, that's true. I should, have, make... I should have been more clear. Um... So big M MEV, which mega electron volt. Which mega is 10 to the power of three? Six? Six. Six. Count the fingers. It's six. <laughs> that's all Beth was giving us hints using her yeah. fingers for all of our listeners who can't see Beth's fingers. So, that would, so that's 10 <laughs> to the power of six, which is a, a million... Yep. Yeah, a million. One million electron volts. Well, 17 million 
electron. Oh, sorry, volts. 17 mouths, right. So 17 times 1 million electron volts. Exactly. Which is probably a lot. How much is an electron if, volt? That's exactly the right question to ask. So I should perhaps be more clear and say that um, particle physicists have this shorthand of saying MEV or mm -hmm. electron volts when what they really mean is electron volts divided by c squared, divided by the speed of light squared. Okay. And so what did Einstein say? I don't know. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared? E equals mc squared. So this... So this is a measurement of energy. No, it's a measurement of mass. Yeah. If it's energy over speed of light squared... Oh, it's the mass of an electron, right? Isn't one electron volt the mass of an electron? No, oh. but uh, well reasoned. You could both be particle physicists, honestly. Um, <laughs> you're making very good logical leaps, both of you. Um, one you. electron volt. One electron volt is the energy that a particle with a charge of plus one. So not an electron, a positron. Okay. It's the energy that it would gain if you put it through a potential difference of one volt, if you accelerated it through a voltage of one volt. Wow. Okay. Okay. So the mass of an electron mm -hmm. is actually quite a lot bigger than that. It's 511 kilo, kilo electron volts. So okay. it's half of a mega electron volt. Okay. Okay. Right. So this was 34 electron mass. Yes. Uh, 33 is what I've got written down. Okay. But, um, I just did 17 times 2. Anyway, just to put everything in context, so, that's, so an electron is half a mega electron volt, a proton is one giga electron volt, so that's 1,000 mega electron volts. So this, in particle physics terms, is fairly light. Something in between. Something in between, fairly light. And then the other force carriers, well, there, there are four of them, two of them are massless, and two of them have a mass of uh, tens of GeV. So that's... Tens of giga electron volts. So that's exactly. like close to protons. Closer to protons. It's a few thousand times the mass of this new particle. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, just to give us the scale that we're working in. Do we know right. what the mass of a muon and a tau are? Your favorite ice cream flavor, Sienna? favorite <laughs> ice cream flavor? Go listen to the Neutrinos episode. Just do it. The mass of muon is about 100 mev. So that's larger than this boy. Exactly. It's a bit less than 10 times this um, gender neutral or particle of unknown general. How many mevs did you weigh when you were born, Sienna? <laughs> Probably Wait, a lot. lot. Than that. <laughs> can you, is it can even you worth measure... measuring humans and mevs? That's not a very useful unit of scale for humans. It's probably not. Uh... Do you know, I... I wouldn't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> okay, so to, to give you a little bit of scale, I'm on the Wikipedia page for the new one now. Okay. Uh, and the mass, as we said, is about 100 mev. In okay. kilos, it's 10 to the minus 28 kilos. So you're going to have to multiply your electron volt by 10 to the 6 to get to mev, 10 to the 28 to get to a kilo, and then another 10 times, more than 10 times, to get to your presumed weight now, at least. So I'm 
in electron volts, I weigh 3.9 times 10 to the negative 36 electron volts. What? No, you don't. 10 to the 36, man. Uh, yeah, this is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, either way, these are infinitesimally small weight measurements compared to right compared to human scales yes oh it's because i put a negative um yeah okay uh where did we even get to but so this this little particle thing was chilling around at 17 mega electron volts a muon is 100 of these mega electron volts an electron was half of one half a mega electron volt yep um and so I'm not going to go into the details of the uh, study in Frankfurt because I want to get onto the more recent studies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was looking at, so they looked at um, the decay of beryllium-8 okay. to try and find this, this effect. And like most of the studies done until the last couple of years were also using beryllium-8. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they do these nuclear physicists is they take lithium seven mm-hmm. and they bombard it with protons mm-hmm. and then some of the protons get captured okay. and by the nucleus and they create a beryllium eight nucleus mm-hmm. which is in an excited state which means that it has more energy than it would like to have Mm-hmm. And it's like you when I don't know about you guys, Sienna, you drink a lot of coffee anyway, and Alice, you do as well, so maybe you don't have this effect. But when I drink too much coffee, when I drink more than two or three coffees in a day, I start jumping around and getting a bit buzzed, and um, and that's sort of like what a what an excited nucleus would be. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a you're bombarding buzzed. it with coffee. And, so you're bombarding uh, it with coffee in the form of protons. It's a little bit anxious, a little bit buzzed. (laughs) And it gets a bit buzzed, and it's like, okay, I need to calm down. I need to relax. And it does that by um, undergoing gamma decay. Okay. And some of the time when it decays, it undergoes what's called internal pair conversion. Okay. Internal pair conversion. Exactly. Not Um, internal apple conversion. Not internal apple conversion. Actually, it, um, takes, it takes the bananas and turns them into... In yes. fact, it's not conversion at all. It's called creation. So um, I got it wrong. Internal pear it, creation? It's making pears? It's Yum. making pears mm-hmm. and not apples and not strawberries. Okay. okay. So it does internal pear creation. Yes. And? and internal pear creation is where uh, the gamma ray that's emitted creates two... Electrons, an electron-positron pair. Okay. Um, I believe inside the nucleus before it escapes the nucleus. Okay. I think. Um, and so these uh, these two electrons, uh, electron and positron, uh, they will be emitted with some angle between them. Mm-hmm. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. It's like if you hit a pool ball against another pool ball. They bounce off exactly. each other at some angle. Exactly. Now, Sienna, I know that you hate mechanics, but um, we're going to have do. to cope with some. <laughs> we're going to oh, have no. to cope with some mechanics. Okay. I'll do my because best. Because <laughs> the 
angle that these two things are emitted at mm-hmm. uh, is most likely to be fairly collinearly. So they should be like with a pretty small angle between them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the probability should decrease as the angle increases of okay. seeing the probability of seeing pairs of electrons. So it's very unlikely that, that they would be released at like a 180 degree angle from each other, but very likely that they would be released at like a one degree angle or less. Exactly. Probably even. And the point is that uh, they have an effect. They, they uh, show an effect that's called boosting. That's okay. uh, what we call it imaginatively. So what that means is if you take your um, uh, snooker cue or pool cue or whichever Mm -hmm. table ball sport it is that you prefer um, and you hit your ball Mm -hmm. into two other balls (laughs) I'm only 12 and you hit your (laughs) and you hit your ball into two other balls then if the ball that you hit is going faster, then mm-hmm. the two balls that you hit it into are more likely to go along with a small angle between them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that hopefully makes some kind of intuitive sense. And the reason behind it is the conservation of momentum. Okay. So they have to have quite a lot... They have to have the same momentum in the forward direction that you're first ball right. came in so with. that does make sense i get it mm-hmm. so it's like um because your ball is moving very fast forward both balls are going to want to also move fast forward exactly mm-hmm. so now what these people in frankfurt saw and what has then been seen again by this uh group in hungary okay is that there is a bump in the spectrum at uh relatively high angles okay and so like more probability than we would expect at those angles exactly so there are more events there are more pairs being created with those angles than we would expect um by known physics we see the bell curve at the small angles that we would expect and then it goes down but then at again later on at bigger angles then it's up again a bit more than we we yeah so i will show you we can look at this plot, for example. You can see here the standard oh, model yeah, yeah. expectation. Mm-hmm. And you can see the bump of events on top of it. Mm-hmm. Around 130 degrees angles. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So cute. this Hungarian paper is from 2016. Okay. Yep. This Hungarian paper is from 2016. Mm-hmm. And this is... This is the first of their measurements of this effect. Mm-hmm. And they've since done a few others, which I'll also talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed there in the other graph that their bump when they measure the mega electron volts is at 16.6 mega electron volts, which is very close to the number 17 that we talked about before of mega electron volts. Sienna! Sorry. <laughs> Did I spoil something? No, no, no. I was just going to say... Um, I was always going to say that you're wasted as a neuroscientist, but it's not oh. true. It's just that neuroscience is very lucky to have you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
particle um, physicists should be sad. <laughs> yeah, honestly, uh, a world of particle physics. Honestly, cry every day that you don't have Sienna in your in your ranks. Um, That's touching. <laughs> so they found so good. feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> so what they found in this 2016 paper was this bump in the in the spectrum, and uh, as Sienna rightly points out, it's at 16.7. MeV, which is close to the 17 MeV, was, you know, still around that area that we're talking about, mm-hmm. and it was a seven sigma effect. <gasps> That's a discovery. Well past the discovery threshold, mm-hmm. significantly past the discovery threshold. We made it. Um, team. That's a one in ten to the twelve effect. Ten to the minus twelve uh, is the p value. Rats, Hungarian which team. Is, That's huge. Yeah, mm-hmm. very small probability of things happening just by chance. Exciting. Only that. Oh. They're the only. Essentially, this is the only, as far as I know, the only method in which this thing has been shown to occur. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Um, so we're gonna mm. like there are more experiments going that I'm gonna talk about in a second, but so no, it's like the reason why we haven't yet washed our hands and said congratulations to the Hungarian people given the Nobel Prize and added a new uh, particle to the standard model mm-hmm. is because everyone's still a bit cautious and people are saying well maybe um, there are other theories that could explain the data that don't mm-hmm. require, require a new particle and stuff like this anyway you just want something a little bit more reproducible and measured in different manners before you call it a discovery exactly i get that um which is obviously how all this science works but i want to go back for half a second to explain Mm -hmm. why we see this bump yes because i think it's important and it has to do again with um mechanics Mm -hmm. and so if you imagine that you are sitting there as this new particle. It's being called the X-17 particle because physicists, again, are inventing. But it should have been called the Drake particle, and that's just a misdemeanor. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, after the famous uh, particle neuroscientist... <laughs> <laughs> um, Who was born Dr. the same year. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Drake. Yeah, Among with true. plenty of other people, but... <laughs> <laughs> but she's the most important one. <laughs> Definitely um, in her own mind. This is why I'm a neuroscientist. <laughs> so if you uh, imagine yourself sitting there as the X seventeen particle, yes, um, and then suddenly you disappear and you create ah. two new particles, which are uh, an electron and a positron. Yeah. Then. Uh, uh, you have to conserve what? Energy. Momentum. Exactly. Points to both of you. One point <laughs> each. <laughs> if you're not moving very much, you'll want to send something in both directions so that they cancel out to make zero. Sierra, Boom. why did you not <laughs> continue with physics, honestly? I hated it. Oh, man, I hated it. <laughs> I can understand that you hated it, but you seem to be good at it. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So the point is that because the electron and the positron have equal mass, they're going to have equal momentum in opposite directions Yeah. in the rest frame of the X17 boson. Okay. So 
what special relativity teaches us, and as we discussed um, in the first interferometry episode, mm-hmm. which must have been series one, episode nine? Probably, yeah. Um, as we discussed in, the, in that episode... With the mirrors. With the mirrors and Gavin pulling the, the cart and stuff oh, yeah. like this. Yes, the cart and the... And how things move look like they're moving different if you're moving. Right. So the point yeah. is that special relativity teaches us that as long as you have mass, mm-hmm. you can be at you can be at rest, mm-hmm. and nobody will ever see you traveling at the speed of light. And somebody can also see you being at rest, or at least think of you as being at rest. Mm-hmm. So. You will always be in your own rest frame, essentially. And that means that if you're running, then you can consider the Earth just moving underneath you. Okay. Or if you're in the train, then you consider the Earth just spinning underneath you and you're staying still. Every time you're running, you're just moving the Earth a little. Yeah. To keep up with you. Shift this way, shift it that way. Uh-huh. And you thought you had no power. So you, mm. could be, you can be stationary and consider everything else moving around you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so then if you are stationary and you emit these things back to back so they're going in opposite directions, yeah. then if somebody is running away from you, mm-hmm. then in their rest frame, mm-hmm. they're going to see you as long as they're running backwards and they can still see you. Mm-hmm. They're going to see you running forwards with respect to them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now you emit these two... Yeah. Uh, now you, you become you two things become... moving in opposite directions. Exactly. But they still have to be going forwards, right? With the same yeah. speed that you were. So the thing is, the heavier is this uh, new particle, the slower it's going to be traveling with the same amount of energy... Mm-hmm. And therefore, the uh, wider this angle between these two particles is going to be. Does that make okay. some kind of intuitive sense? Well, because like, it's like the pu- the pew balls. Like the pool balls, mm-hmm. when yep. they're moving slower, the angle between them is larger. Yeah. When exactly. they hit the other two balls, it's mm-hmm. larger. Yep, so you yep, can think of it yep. like the slower that this particle is moving when it becomes two things, the angle will be wider. Exactly. The two things emitted. Exactly. And so, um, and so by looking at this, uh, at the angle between these two particles, then you can work backwards and find out what the uh, mass of the particle must have been to create it. Okay, I see. Mm-hmm. And that's how they found this 16.7 MeV particle. So the and angle is 130 degrees because the mass is 16.7 and kind of vice yeah. versa. Exactly. So then, as we've said, like one measurement, even if it's at seven sigma, you know, people can say, well, I'm not really, you know, maybe you had a mistake in your experiment or maybe you've just completely made this up or uh, who knows what. Or like maybe it also sounds like their interpretation is that it's a new particle, whereas the interpretation of this, while not having happened by chance, is explained by something else. Yeah, could exactly. Be. Could um, be explained by something else, yeah. So, uh, in 2019, the same group decided to redo the experiment with an improved setup. 
Mm-hmm. And they found evidence for, the, for a particle with the same mass and the same branching fractions, so they calculated the probability that it was to be produced, and they found a very similar uh, result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they did uh, two experiments to find this. I think they did the experiment at two different energies of the proton that um, came in and impinged on the lithium to create the beryllium that mm-hmm. then decayed, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the, the energy that you put into your system, and the higher the energy, the... Uh, uh, smaller the angle? Yeah, the, smaller, the, the higher the energy, the smaller the angle. Good. Yeah. Okay. So what they found was that in these two experiments, they found a particle with the same mass and the same branching fraction that they'd found in the previous experiment. Mm-hmm. And the significance of both the experiments was above five, five sigma. One of them was about, was not quite actually, one of them was 4.9, I think, sigma, almost five sigma. Okay. And one of them was seven sigma. Okay. So nice. these are like definitely uh, interesting results to be researched. Mm-hmm. And we love reproducibility. Exactly. Yeah, we love to see it. <laughs> um, so I promise, I promise that I am coming towards the end, but I'm not at the end yet. So they did this in 2016, got 7 sigma. 2019, mm-hmm. got 4.9 sigma and 7 sigma. Yep. And in the meantime, in the meantime, between these two um, results, some theorists were working on this, which is really like, uh, I might come back to this at the end, but um, this uh, result, I think, was more or less um, sort of niche and not particularly in the public consciousness until this group of theorists picked it up and, uh, and tried to find a theory that would suit it. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy called Jonathan Feng, and he and his team reviewed the data and uh, suggested that it was evidence for, for this fifth fundamental force that we were talking about before. Because the Hungarian team had proposed one theory for it, one type of particle, Jonathan Feng and his team said, no, we don't think it's that kind of particle, we think it's this other kind of particle. Mm-hmm. And they suggested that it could also explain the muon g minus two tension which i know sounds like jargon but if you (laughs) if you have been if you have been following particle physics news in recent weeks you might have heard of muon g minus two so g minus two is a measurement of the uh, magnetic moment of the muon essentially so the point is that as we've already said before on this podcast a few times including in alice's great uh, NMR episode mm-hmm. um, if you are a fundamental part if you are anything and you have charge and you have spin you have angular momentum you create a magnetic mm-hmm. field you have right. like a, what's called a magnetic moment so the point is that that magnetic field has some value um, theoretically according to quantum mechanics and if you're very very clever mm-hmm. then you can calculate it very very precisely what they did first in brookhaven and then again at fermilab in, Ch- in chicago so brookhaven is in new york and um and then again in fermilab in chicago is they have put muons in mm-hmm. a magnetic field in a, in a storage ring okay. and they've sent them around and around and around and the point is that if you have your own magnetic field mm-hmm. and you are placed into an external magnetic field then you begin to precess like a spinning top yeah at the larmor frequency ah uh, there you go yeah 
in case you haven't listened to our MRI and MR episode, you should, because we talk all about this magnets and magnets and magnets. And spinning and spinning and spinning. Yeah. So they begin to wobble like a top. They begin to wobble like a top, and that means that you can measure if the frequency with which they they wobble Mm -hmm. is the same as you would expect from your theory. Mm -hmm. Back in 2006, Brookhaven published a result that showed that the magnetic moment of the muon was 3.3 sigma away from the theory. Oof. Which, as we've already said, is the threshold, 3 three sigma is the threshold for things being interesting and to be looked into. Mm-hmm. And in recent weeks, uh, just a few weeks ago, um, the muon G-2 collaboration produced, uh, re- released new results and um, they did a really good seminar online, which I'm sure you can find on YouTube because they live streamed it to YouTube. Most of it was pretty introductory and very clear and basic level. And they also in- included some of the jargon for the physicists as well. So if you want to know more about that, I'll try and find a link and put it in our social media. Mm-hmm. would really recommend going to, to look it up. Can I just summarize the muon G2 as far as I understand yeah, yeah, it? please do. We had a muon theory. This is like a measurement of the muon. And if p- pretend you are a muon and you stick your arms out to make your personal space bubble, that bubble can be measured based on the length of your arms. And if you have a theory about how long your arms are, then you can theorize about how big the personal space bubble is too. Correct. Now they measured yeah. the personal space bubble using a different technique and found out it wasn't as big as we expected based on what we theorized the length of the arms of the muon were. So muon arms are shorter than we expected. I think they're bigger than we expected, but the point is the same. Muon arms are bigger than we expected. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe the fact that I don't know. Maybe the fact that um, actually the the frequency I think is higher than we expected. So maybe that would mean that. Um, like a figure skater, it means that your arms are actually smaller. Closer but to your body. Anyway, Maybe. they're different is the point. Um, yeah. And the latest result gives a 4.2 sigma tension with the standard model. So very interesting. <laughs> exactly, very interesting. Not yet a discovery, but very interesting. Not yet a discovery, this new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our spin-off podcast oh with its oh. angular momentum. Just popping back in with a joke, huh? <laughs> but to link this back... So we had yes. a Hungarian group who found yep. something at a mass of almost 17 mega electron volts. And yep. they did this through radioactive decay of beryllium-8. And they did this a few times and showed it was pretty pretty important. It seemed to really be likely to be ha- real. And then somebody named Feng came along, Jonathan yep. Feng, and yep. was like, maybe this isn't a particle. Maybe this is a force carrying particle <laughs> i guess still a yeah. particle maybe this isn't a mass particle maybe this is a force particle is what i've understood well basically it's not it was that it wasn't this type of force particle but it was this other type of force particle okay. essentially but maybe it's not the hungarians theory maybe it's my theory yeah essentially yeah <laughs> fair enough he's a theoretical physicist he has the <laughs> yeah that's his job <laughs> yes um so the the extra piece that you didn't get to right um is that his force idea could explain the difference in the length of the arms of the muon yeah exactly okay okay so so the hungarian team liked his idea essentially nice and they went back to their experiments and they decided Mm -hmm. to do more experiments apart from anything else i think that 
obviously when uh, when you have a new result you want people to listen to you and you want to do everything you can to uh, make people listen to you and to stop anybody from saying ah oh, yes but you want to shut down all those ah oh, yes buts before they before they get there Okay. In October 2019, they uploaded to the archive, which is where it is the particle physics preprint mm-hmm. server. They uploaded a paper with results from a very similar experiment they'd done, which now used helium. So instead of turning okay. lithium into beryllium, they turned hydrogen into helium. And they have now, in the last few weeks, um, added some more results to this and uh, released a new preprint. They now have three more data points okay. which give a particle of the same mass at significances of 7.3, 6.6 and 8.9 sigma. They're seeing this something. This is very man. exciting. <laughs> Isn't this the discovery exciting? of a new particle? Like, I am on the edge of my seat right now. I this how have I not <laughs> heard about this? I'm like, for the past five years, somebody's been discovering a new particle, and nobody's yeah. talking about it. Like, hello world. There's a particle <laughs> out there that weighs 17 mega electron volts, and nobody's talking about it. Welcome to the world, X-17. That's wild. Yeah, it is wild. Okay, so I now, like, I maybe should have said this before, but, like, I do have to express um, some kind of a, an interest in this in the sense that my supervisor knows the guy, the, the lead of this group in Hungary, and they've okay. worked together. Well, they haven't worked together together, but they, like, have things planned to work together to uh, validate this result. Ooh. So you're disclosing your conflict of interest. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and my experiment is probably the only experiment in the world that is, well, certainly the only experiment in the world that is currently in operation that would be able to produce this particle on resonance um, through E plus E minus annihilation. So what that means, on resonance means basically at its mass. Okay. Um... So you could make these particles. Opposite way, kind of. So you're putting those pool balls back together. Exactly. Okay. Okay, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So I want this to be true. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, because it's like, it was super exciting. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think, like, I think it's uh, important to put it in uh, some context. A bit like you were saying, Sienna, like, why haven't I heard about this? Mm-hmm. I don't want to go into the politics of it but it's potentially political that you haven't heard of it but let's like just state some true facts and a true fact is that both lhcb and the mu and g minus two result in the last um month month and a half mm-hmm. um have had huge big media splashes is yeah. there a fifth fundamental force um is physics broken blah 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 in the bbc f- for instance yeah. And they have both done important, interesting physics that could be something or could be nothing. Mm-hmm. But the significances of these results are 3.1 sigma from two combined results for the LHCB thing. Okay. I think it's two combined results. So interesting, but not a discovery. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, it is interesting and it is yeah. something that they've seen more than once and it stayed in the same place and it stayed at the same significance. So like... Okay. But they've got a lot more data that they still need to work through, and it may disappear. 
Um, there have been a lot of three three sigma results in history that have just disappeared into nothing. Popped out of existence. Popped oh, out of gosh. existence, exactly. Mu and G minus two, they have a combined result between the new the new experiment that they've done and the old one that was done at Brookhaven, um, and the combined result gives four point two sigma, yeah. which is exciting and it's very, very exciting, exciting and you know. But it's not five sigma, and yeah. so mm-hmm. it's not a discovery. But remember, in 1996, it wasn't five sigma either. <laughs> right. Give them 20 years. They'll get there. Well, no, this is exactly like, and all of this is, and like, I'm not trying to say that either LHCB or the Mu and G minus two collaboration, anybody anywhere has done anything wrong, mm-hmm. or that the media is wrong to publish these things. Like, mm-hmm. I'm very happy if the LHCB. The LHC and CERN's like publicity machine is working so well to get the public interested yeah. in physics, and also like we as taxpayers finance a lot of uh, mm-hmm. fundamental science, and so it's important that uh, we know what is happening with our money, and like all of that is great. But I do think that it's a shame that this like they mm-hmm. now have uh, like this Hungarian group now have at least five or six data points of more than or almost five sigma mm-hmm. one of them was eight sigma as long as somebody else can reproduce this yeah. in mm-hmm. a different way then the discovery title will surely go to these hungarian people. and so that's what you're trying to do beth and that's one of the things that we would like to do at my experiment so mm-hmm. if you will allow me yes please a couple more <laughs> couple more minutes our experiment is called Padme. Mm-hmm. And, um, is it uh, named after the Star Wars character? Yes. Oh my and god. I here love I love have that. to here I have to out myself as somebody who has never seen Star Wars. You've never seen Star Wars? Okay, let me give you the Alistair 30 second rundown. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there were two factions of people fighting. There's lots of bloodshed and a whole planet gets blown up at one point. Padme's the queen of the planet that gets blown up. Okay. And they, they fight with laser swords. There is yeah. a war okay. in the stars. There is war going on. Okay. And Star she's, Wars. She's, she's a goodie, is she? She's part of the rebels. Which is the goodies. So, the goodies, yeah. I okay. mean, not the fascists. Based on the <laughs> angle that the story is told, she's part of the goodies. Okay, great. And I... also probably morally and ethically part of the goodies, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, Star Wars is a great series of movies. I think the prequels are not as good as the original, but, you know. Anyways, that was a summary of Star Wars, after which your experiment is named Pat. After which my experiment is named but the point is that the point is that it's dark matter and it's the dark side, right? And yeah, um, for sure. the yeah. force and all like that so it's sense. it's a fundamental force. Wait, are we discovering the force right now? This are you, you're is discovering the force. Why physicists are massive nerds. Mm-hmm. Anyway, our experiment is called Padme and it stands for Positron Annihilation to Dark Matter Experiment. Okay. So what we have is we have a beam of positrons which hit a diamond target. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the point is that some fraction of the time they will annihilate. And in the standard model, when an electron and a positron annihilate, they produce two photons most of okay. the time. Occasionally they produce three, but for the most part they produce two. Okay. 
So our experiment was built to detect dark photons, which is the thing that originally the Hungarians thought that maybe this was, and then they decided that Jonathan Feng and his team decided that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But if a dark photon exists, then we hope that it would be in the mass range and with the coupling strength, so um, with the probability to interact, uh, interact with um, electrons and positrons, Mm-hmm. such that we would be able to see it. So what we would see would be, instead of these two standard model photons being produced, mm-hmm. we would see one standard model photon and one dark photon. Okay. Except for the fact that you can't see dark photons. Yeah, that's kind <laughs> right. of tough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's that thing in physics where you expect a result, but because you don't see one of the results, you can back-calculate or, like, not assume, because it's not just assumptions, but it's like, ah, mm-hmm. we don't see... The other one, so it must be a dark photon. Exactly. So what we what we're looking for is just one standard model photon with nothing else, essentially. Mm-hmm. If this uh, X seventeen particle exists, then we might be able to. Uh, it could potentially be possible that we annihilate an electron and a positron, and this X seventeen particle is produced, and then if it has a short enough lifetime then it might decay again into an electron and a positron, which we, in our experiment, are set up to potentially be able to see. And that is, as far as I understand, how we would look for this new particle in our experiment. So we're not the only experiment in the world that's looking for it, but we're the only experiment in the world that is currently set up to be able to produce it at these energies, because most particle beams are at significantly higher energies. So, I have a question. Yes. And this kind of ties into the whole overarching theme of the episode, I think. It sounds to me like dark matter is just the stuff that physicists haven't fully discovered yet. Like, I'm thinking this X-17 particle is kind of classified as a dark matter, dark thing, because we don't fully know, we being physicists, I have no idea, (laughs) Um, we don't really know what property it has, what it carries, what it does. And so, like, it falls in the realm of uh, dark matter because of that. But if it were to be discovered and become a particle, would it still be in the realm of dark matter? Like, I'm just... Isn't it also dark matter because we can't see it with light? Like, it doesn't yeah. have light. It's not detectable that way. I guess at the beginning of the episode, to be all clickbaity and uh, attention-grabby, I should have cited the fact that we have the embarrassing situation that physicists only know what 5% of the universe is made up of. Mm. So 95% of the energy content of the universe is unknown. And about three quarters of that is dark energy, which has nothing to do with dark matter and is another one of these dark chemistry and um, (laughs) antimatter confusion things because they always get lumped in together and they actually have nothing to do with each other. Okay. Okay. And then another 20% or more of the universe is uh, dark matter, 20-25%, I think it is. Which is just this Um, matter that obstructs view, but we can't see it itself. It bends view. So I was watching a 60 Symbols video to try and um, get myself into the the dark matter mood uh, yesterday while I was doing research for this kind of stuff. And uh, there they say that it shouldn't be called dark matter, it should be called transparent matter. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. It's like the lens of a camera. If you're trying to take a right. picture with a camera, you can take a picture of the light, but how would you see the lens? So that's the thing, that, like, it's called dark because it doesn't emit light. 
but mm-hmm. it's also transparent because you can like light can pass through it no worries because it doesn't interact with light mm-hmm. so um i hope that is some answer to your question now so. yeah that's that's a better answer to my question i just kind of was thinking like how how do we define dark matter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it is. It's this stuff that physicists don't understand, but it's only one of the things that we don't understand. <laughs> Luckily. Right. Luckily, there's plenty more for us to not understand. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, we have other things to study, and there will be, hopefully, jobs for us in the future. <laughs> if you think about it, though, there's a lot of universe and the fact that we can like have figured out what 5% of it is from our tiny little vantage yeah. point is actually kind yeah. of impressive. Yeah. Like that's way more than we knew 100 years ago probably or 1000 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think um, It's not like Earth is 5% of it and we just like have discovered Earth. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of a lot of stuff that we are yeah. can account for. I'm sure I've said it on this podcast before. I think I said it maybe in the in the trailer that like one of the things that really amazes me and excites me about science is the fact that we do and can know so much and mm-hmm. how we can know it and like and that for me goes all the way through into experimental technique and like but why but how but yeah. like what was the number and uh, what did you see on your screen and like those like really basic low-level questions that yeah. for me are fascinating mm. um but no i completely agree it's it's amazing you know so much okay do you guys have final comments before quiz this is super exciting and i hope that your experiment i hope padme helps you confirm the existence yeah. of this x17 particle I, it sounds like it'll pan out because what can happen will happen and i think this can happen so <laughs> yeah therefore it will should we should we have a quiz i want to hear your buzzer noises can you hear that? I can, but I'm going to have to watch you carefully because it, it's hardly picked up by the mic. What, what is your buzzer? What is okay. it? I think, I, I think I've modulated the sound enough. And that's, that's the sound of a particle popping into existence, okay. obviously. <laughs> obviously, yeah. Um, not popping out. Who's to say? How would you know? <laughs> What's the difference? Popped <laughs> out somewhere, popped in somewhere else. <laughs> oh, okay, let's not get into wormholes. Alistair, do you have a buzzer? I I can't. I have I have a conceptual idea for my buzzer noise, but I can't think of a quote. So my my buzzer noise is going to be, "Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi! You're my only hope." But I know that that's not Padme. That's too long. It's fine. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> Why don't you just say you help me, Obi Wan? You could just say help me. No, it's gonna be help me, Obi Wan. <laughs> is this gonna get us in some sort of copyright issue, though? Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. I'm your, you're my only okay. hope. Okay. Anyways, we'll go with it. <laughs> I just don't know any quotes by Padme. Okay. Are we good? Are we ready to go? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Question one: Who was the first person in 1884 to suggest? Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. Kelvin. It was Kelvin. It was Lord Kelvin. His first name was Children, calm down (laughs) Okay Alright, question number two Point for each person Whose name must come up In the discussion of dark matter Wasn't one of them like Fritz And then Svenky Alistair Alistair, what were you going to say? I mean, what's the point of Sienna's just going to blur Well, I I was buzzing in before you I don't know what to tell you I did not hear your buzzer. I'm sorry. I w- I w- you can. I can show you the recording. 
Okay, all right. Uh, can, Fine, can go I ahead. have one go from ahead, each Sienna. of you? Uh, Fritz was maybe the name. Okay, and Alistair? And Fang. I thought it was like Spanky. Uh, a point to Sienna. I'll give you a point. It was Fritz Wiki. It's Fritz Wiki. Um, but Fang was... Uh, not, not the, the person that I was thinking of. Jonathan Fang well, was the one who theorized. I thought you just said any name that needs to come up when talking about dark matter. But at the beginning of the episode, Beth said, there are two names that always have to come up when you talk about dark matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she was referring to. Okay. Yeah. Although, to be fair, with the second name, I also mentioned two other names. Oh. So uh, it wasn't that clear. But anyway, see, I get the point. I feel like you could also say that, like, Einstein's name should come up because you talk about relativity. But anyway. Not really. I mean, kind of, but, like, also not. Anyway, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, Alistair, I will, I will try and give you a point. <laughs> now. I don't need your pity Wait, points. Wait, but what were the two names? <laughs> what were the answers? Um, the other name was Vera Rubin. So the first one Vera was Rubin, right. Fritz Wiki, and Fritz the second Wiki. one was Vera Rubin. Okay. Uh, what is the effect that we see from the bullet cluster? Help me about Kerry, you're really help. Go. We see two versions of it because of gravitational lensing. However, also we see that there is uh, an imbalance of matter because the gases all collide where the collision happens and the stars all go through, but then there's also, like, matter that has gone through the collision, but we can't see. Yeah. Um, gravitational lensing was all that was required, but, um, oh. that was pretty good. <laughs> okay. Alistair just didn't want to give me any shot to steal a point there. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Fair um, enough. Game recognizes game. <laughs> I mean, you would have done the same. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, yes, uh, I will give you a point. The only mistake that you made was that you don't see two of the bullet cluster. The bullet cluster bends the light and is a gravitational lens for what is behind it. So it's not the bullet cluster that you see twice, it's something else behind the bullet cluster that you see twice because of the bullet cluster. Okay, okay. Because of all that weirdly weird matter, dark matter. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. That we presume Um, is there because of the gravitational lensing. (laughs) Yes, uh, but Alistair already said it's Sienna, so you can't get a point. I'm just reiterating for the audience. <laughs> okay, uh, the, we are on 2 1. Uh, final question to decide whether uh, Sienna stays in the lead or whether Alistair catches up. Okay, name one of. <laughs> Sienna, um, you can't just you, buzz if in. If you answer wrongly, then I will take a point off you. Are you sure that you want to answer? Yes. Go. Um, can I have the full question? No. <laughs> no, that's not. Blue one. No. <laughs> the question was so you know you're now you're tied. So this is now. Uh, this is the most exciting quiz we've had all season. For, uh, warding and taking away points. We've never taken away points. I before, don't agree with your strategy of buzzing in. I literally warned you before. Uh, okay, so what is name one of the two elements who's the? Help me, everyone, Kenobi. You're my only hope. Lithium and brilliant. Hear you first. Bur- <laughs> lithium beryllium or hydrogen and helium 
I heard Alistair's buzz first, and he did also get both, but I will award a point to Sienna because she did also get a get And a I right also answer. did buzz before we finished the question again. You definitely... So I buzzed while I, you were talking. Okay, I heard I element, and I hit, hit the buzz, so... Okay. Look, I mean, Sienna, it's not my you fault that you picked a quiet buzzer. not buzzing. But that's your problem. You picked a buzzer noise that's quiet. I don't know I picked why a buzzer noise so that's loud. All right, chill out, guys. You both won. You drew. It's 2-2. Congratulations to everybody. You're all winners. Um, you all get a car. Okay. <laughs> wow, that, that car popped out of existence real fast. I didn't even see it. Um, so that is dark matter in a nutshell thank you for this very illuminating episode yeah i learned so much honestly if we learned anything it's that sienna should be a physicist (laughs) (laughs) a generous take (laughs) we have reached the end of another series thank you for joining us on these two series worth of excitement and knowledge yeah thank you for listening mm-hmm. to us through our yep. highs and lows our lights and darks you can still get in touch on social media not yet adr facebook instagram twitter you can email us phd32b at gmail.com we have to give a massive thank you to Alison who wrote the theme tune that you heard at the beginning you're probably hearing it now and uh that's all my name is beth my name is alistair and i'm sienna mm-hmm.